funny. I was talking to somebody about him just yesterday. Brian has uh, that classic 90s era kid growing up where if it didn't happen when he was a kid, That's right. it didn't happen. It didn't happen. didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't the greatest ever. And That's right. Barry, after, after you said this to me, I've never been able to look at him the same. We watched that 99 uh, Woodstock documentary, right? The, the first, first one, one, not this latest right. one. And Barry came on this podcast. I don't know if Taco remembers, but he said Brian Stone is every kid that went to Woodstock 99 because he went to Woodstock 99. Angry, but they don't know what they're angry they don't about. Know why. They have no good reason. And that... And that is quintessential Brian yep, Stone. That's exactly right. They mm-hmm. don't know why they're mad. They just want to be mad because they just know that they're mad about that. Something. And I've said to that's you right. too. He's he is so mad that he's not 14 years old perpetually and discovering <laughs> Pearl Jam for the first time every day. Uh, every <laughs> that's day. all he wants in life. He wants to be uh-huh. 14 and discovering Pearl Jam for the first time. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity, and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Oh, there's so much wrong there. There's so much wrong. It's the guys from the What Podcast, if you need them. Lord Taco Berry Quarter and... Brad Steiner. I think things before me were true and real. Maybe not the best ever. Uh, What else? I should have made a checklist. I do really enjoy being a young person and listening to Pearl Jam, but I don't long to be 14. It's a Stone on Air podcast. Hello. No, I don't have to. I, I, it's not that I don't have uh, a reasons or understanding of why I'm mad. I'm mad for very, very specific things. And I spell them out on a weekly basis right here on this podcast. My commentary on the passing parade of life, uh, storytelling at times, and just whatever shows up between one Thursday and the next. I want to thank the What Podcast guys. Uh, that was from that same um uh, show they did a couple of weeks ago that I played a clip from. I'll probably play another one next week as well. If you want to know anything about the festival scene, music industry in general, and uh, sometimes a little insights of how media works, that's the podcast to listen to. The What Podcast. All right. It is the 8th of September. It is the final month of the year that I can put on a ranking that ranks somewhere near a positive thought that I have about the month. Like anybody around here knows I April's my month. June is hashtag my other month. And if I had to make another one, September is my hashtag other other month. And it's not for any particular reason other than even though I am a big summer guy, summertime is my favorite time of the year. It is nice to get that little bit of relief that comes with the September fall whenever it eventually does show up. I mean, October sucks. Halloween sucks. Uh, uh, November and into December and all the holidays. While I can appreciate some of that, it overall is not a time that I long for or have really special memories of other than just a few plucked out over the last four decades. 
and you know January sucks, February is awful, March starts to get better, and then we do it all over again. <laughs> That's pretty much the cycle of my life. So this is my uh, my third favorite month, I guess, if you had to put it, or if I had to put it technically on a list. The goddamn dogs next door, they're just pound junkyard dogs from their chihuahuas and little Mexico over there. Uh, they're barking their damn heads off. I hope you can't hear that through the uh, microphone. They're fine people, right? They're fine people, but it's pretty annoying. All right, let's see. Let's lay out the show here real quick. I really don't have a whole lot. Uh, this was another one of those ones where I had to kind of start stretching for stuff to talk about. I mean, I can always sit in front of a microphone and talk for, for an hour. That That's not difficult, but to pull out uh, things that are really worth hearing, you know, that's a little bit more of a struggle. Um, in the second segment of the show, I'm going to uh, – I've got a couple of things here from – the uh, pandemic shutdowns and how it's affecting kids in school. Shocking news, right? Shocked said no one. Kids are dumber now, and we're going to have a generation that's dumber now because of the ridiculousness that was uh, the 2020 overreaction to the flu. I'll get to some of that, and I'll just kind of bounce around a little bit to a few different things. Uh, I'll lay out I'm going on vacation next week. I'll talk about that in that segment as well, and it might mean no podcast next week and in the final segment of the show i want to talk uh, college football's back and i i don't like college football technically yet i watch it every week and of all the sports out there i probably watch co college football more than any other sport yet it's one of my least favorite it's kind of strange uh, relationship that i have i just want to talk about the rules nil the transfer portal a couple clips of audio i found um just you know just because why not there was really nothing else to go down that road and a lot of people that listen to this I think would be interested in that topic and then I'll have you three pieces of audio at the end of this segment in a little less than 10 minutes from now the realest thing the coolest thing and the worst idea so real quick Jack White just announced yesterday uh, gonna be doing a quick show fast next uh, Saturday at the Walker Theater, I thought it was, is it, I was like, is it April Fool's? What's going on here? Walker Theater. That's not even the biggest theater in that building. What would he be doing there? I don't know. It's going to be an acoustic sit-down kind of thing. I will be out of town that day, so good luck getting tickets. They go on sale. If you're listening to this on the day this is released on uh, the 8th of uh, September on a Thursday, they go on sale Friday at 10 a.m. If I am not mistaken, you're on your own to figure out all the specifics, but that's pretty darn cool. Um, I'll talk about where I'm going to be again next segment. Uh, Moon River this weekend. I, I did stumble on a weekend pass. Very, very happy to have uh, gotten that in my hand today. I thought I was going to be able to make it happen, but I thought I was going to have to sweat it out into the weekend. And it really wasn't a sweating out kind of deal. My connections on this one are through the beer company. And I, I knew if I pushed hard, that, that somebody would have taken care of me because we I have good relationships all up and down the board there, and it usually works out for me. And if my favorite band was there, there's no chance somebody wouldn't make sure I got in. But I don't care about this lineup at all. So I, uh, I just put in a real casual, just like, hey, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If something pops up, even just like a day pass or something or a vendor pass just so I can come in and watch Band of Horses on Sunday because that will be phenomenal. Local natives... And back-to-back uh, -back on the main stages, uh, and then Band of Horses is going to be a great Sunday afternoon and into the evening. So I would love to do that. And uh, But I didn't push any harder than that. I didn't send out any extra texts or any kind of, you know, I didn't want to. There's going to be times when I need to borderline beg, and this doesn't need to be one of those. And I made that pretty clear. And boom, just like always, my guy, um, if he can, he does. 
and he got me a, a weekend uh, wristband. So I am uh, happy about that. It, it is interesting to me. The festival has not sold out now for the first time. Well, you know, I don't know how the sales went. Uh, is, this, is this the first one? No, there was one last year. I don't remember how the sales went last year. I was in Nashville for the Titans. Um, so I don't know. But it it feels like the shine is coming off of the the Moon River thing all the way around. I don't trust Drew Holcomb either. Um, and I don't mean that in a really negative, connotative kind of way. I just, he's moved this festival twice now, once to a bigger venue in Memphis and then to here. And I could see him easily moving it from here uh, as well. I don't, I don't like Drew Holcomb's music all that much. It's fine if you like it. I get what it is, but he puts himself as the third on the stack like every year at Moon River, and he would be at the bottom of every other festival. I think he's just looking for the best deal. I think so far he's still been given a great deal here. I think the shine is, the luster is off of it, and there's only so much you can do when you narrow cast yourself into a single genre festival. I love Americana music. I love strings. I love alt country. I love all that stuff. But when your festival is just that, I mean, there's only so many times the Avid Brothers can play. And there's only so many times the uh, Lumineers, which I don't think they've been here yet. That would be a huge get. But th there's only so many of these bands out there. And there's only so many ways you can branch out and, and innovate and change and get better with the time when you've painted yourself into a corner with the genre. So... And I'm, you know, my new found life of love of Riverbend again and, and how awesome it was this year and how much I champion that festival again now and I can't wait for next year. I'm kind of back to, hey, this is a Riverbend town, guys. I mean, this is cool. This is a nice little thing you're doing over here. This is fun. But this is a Riverbend rock and roll town. That's what we do here. I don't know. That's kind of sounding like, you know, cheap pops just trying to get in with the, with the right people kind of talk. But that's pretty much what it is exactly, as a matter of fact. A uh, couple of things here. Chattanooga has the cheapest gasoline in Tennessee. It has been plummeting for the last, you know, however long it's been, a little over a month. It has been very, very, very nice. And um, because really, if gasoline, let's see, it says here, since its peak at the start of the summer in June, the average price of gas in Chattanooga has dropped nearly a dollar thirty a gallon. That's huge. And really if gasoline is just around 250 to 275, which is where it's kind of been hovering in the middle of the decade and really kind of peaked out at one point, I'm still doing all right. I mean, I I've always driven gas efficient vehicles. I've done that for 20 years, way before it was cool to do it, way before it was fashionable. And once it gets over three, that's when it really starts messing me up. But if it gets under $3 a gallon, that gets me back to what I would consider normalcy. So very, uh, very happy to see that. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, okay, so I've got these texts recently. It's, I've had the same phone number for over 20 years, and it's just now finally starting to get text spammed out. These people, you know, trying to just buy houses with, with cash. I know it's not, they're not real people, like, sitting on the other end of the phone texting me personally. It's some kind of bot through these, you know, monster corporations that are just buying up property so they can buy them, fix them, and sell them kind of thing. Buy your house for cash now kind of things. Here is uh, from Roger. It says, hey, Brian, Roger here. I recently found my address. Any interest in letting it go? You've got lots of sale options for it. Why don't we take a look at them? And I've been getting a bunch of these 
recently. Uh, the other day I got, um, morning, are you Brian? That was just the text from a 423 number, which again, not a local number. It's just disguised that way to trick me. And I just said, that depends on who's asking, which got zero um, response. And what else? Oh, real quick. So I talked about my procedure last week. I'm not going to get into it. If you don't know now, then you have to go back and listen. But I, um, I, I was going through all the paperwork afterwards. It's, it's basically just a total history of all my ailments and all my problems and all my medications and everything. It's very detailed. And it was after all the information I gave them because I had uh, anesthesia. So I was put under. So I, I've never had that done before. And I was very concerned. So I was very almost overly uh, uh, truthful when I was asked questions by all the nurses, which I see they just were never ending phone calls and paperwork to fill out. And at that time, for some reason, for the course of a few weeks, I was smoking weed a little bit. And then if I smoke weed, that means I'm going to smoke a cigarette. And if there's cigarettes around, then I might end up accidentally having one before the night's over. And I can get into a little habit of that, but it's not because I'm addicted to nicotine. It's just because they're there and why not? And so I said, you know, you know, when I was talking to a lady, I was like, you know, yeah, kind of recently I have been, but not really. Like I really don't like, I almost gave too much. I, I think she thought I was lying. I think she thought that I was trying to make it sound like I didn't smoke when I really actually did. I haven't had a cigarette in three weeks, and I won't have another one for three. Well, I'll, I'll be at a concert next week. I'll probably have one next week. There's there's no there's no addiction there. Anybody who listens to this knows I will just gladly just come right out and talk about my addictions and my problems in life, and that's not one of them. And they sent me this, in part of this whole wellness package, this three-page in-depth smoking cessation a step-by-step really talks to you like you kind of stupid. Start nicotine, a powerful addiction. If you have tried quitting smoking, you know how hard it can be. It is hard because nicotine is very da 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 da. Quitting smoking is one of the most important things you'll do. And it's just five keys for quitting. Get ready, get support, learn new skills and behaviors. Uh, then one, get ready, support. Uh, all that stuff I just said. Medication and use it correctly. Be prepared for relapse or difficult situations. Two and a half, three full pages of this. I tell them how much I drink, and there's not a mention about, hey, you should stop drinking. Here's some ideas and maybe some ways to stop drinking alcohol. No, here's an, a comprehensive, in-depth, uh, step-by-step, uh, three-page medical uh, advice, advisory on how to quit smoking. I don't smoke. I promise. All right, let's jump to these three pieces of audio. What, do I, what are we going to start with here? Hold on. We're going to start with the realest thing. This is on TikTok or now Reels on Instagram where you, it's called Stitch. Somebody says something and you want to respond to it. So you play a portion of what they said and then you respond on top of it. So it's just some old woman saying kids these days are stupid, something like that. This is Gen Z, somebody uh, just complaining about young people, especially the uh, youngest adult generation today's realest thing. Hi, Gen Z here. Um, and let me tell you, it baffles me that people will look at the last 10 to 20 years and then look at Gen Z and be like, huh, I wonder what's wrong with them as if it doesn't directly correspond with each other. So let me connect a couple dots for you and tell you my life story. I'm Gen Z. I'm 22 years old. I was born in the year 2000, meaning when I was one year old, 9-11 happened. Now our generation is literally based on the fact that we are the first generation to not remember 9-11. But that doesn't mean it didn't affect us severely. Yeah, 9-11 happened in 2001, but it also basically happened every year afterwards because the older generation was so obsessed with remembering the trauma and the lives lost and the tragedy of the entire thing, which is a fine way to deal with your emotions. 
However, I remember being in first grade in 2006 and being forced to sit down every single September and watch people jump out of burning buildings, people on fire, planes crashing into buildings, literal murder being witnessed live on television. I was six years old. I am so, so guilty of it. We're here. It's the week before 9-11 is uh, this Sunday opening day in NFL, and I will be watching all those shows all week long or at least have them DVR'd for another time, and she is not wrong. The 21st century has been a wild place for a young, very young person to now barely an adult to grow up in. She is not incorrect. This is the coolest thing. It's a quote-unquote kid challenging a Sunday school teacher. It's spoofy, but it's what I'm calling the coolest thing. Okay, kids, that wraps up our lesson on Adam and Eve. Any questions? Was the talking snake real? Yes, the talking snake was real because we believe the Bible is God's literal words. We take it literally. What about Jubilee and Deuteronomy? Oh, how do you know about that? It's said to cancel and forgive debts every okay, seven okay. years. Um, so we don't take everything literal. So that's talking about spiritual metaphorical debts, okay? Like, we don't just... Forgive financial debts. <laughs> Wouldn't Jesus want us to love and care for our neighbor? Yes, Jesus does ask us to care for those and to love our neighbor, but Jesus can't make me, right? Like the government, you can't make me care for people. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> I love it. I just love stupid stuff like that. I had to look it up. Jubilee and New Deuteronomy, is that what it's called? Apparently it's some kind of portion of the Bible that talks about uh, cleansing sins and cleansing debts every so often for a new rejuvenated. I don't know. I ain't never read this stuff, but thought that was pretty funny. And the final one here, the worst idea, mainly because I couldn't find anything else on the fly in a hurry. Ted Cruz is a bleeping punk ass. There is a real risk if if you are that that slacker barista who wasted seven years in college studying completely useless things now has loans and can't get a job. Joe Biden just gave you 20 grand. Like, holy cow, 20 grand that, you know, maybe you weren't going to vote in November and suddenly you just got 20 grand. And, you know, if you can, you know, get off the bong for a minute and, and, and head down to the voting station uh, or just send in your mail in uh, ballot that the Democrats have helpfully sent you, it could drive up turnout particularly among young people. And the people who are getting screwed, it's not necessarily the case that they understand they're getting screwed. It's not like you get a bill in October, dear Michael, send in your $2,100 to pay for um, Slacker Boy's loans getting forgiven. Uh, everything has just got to be so goddamn combative. And anybody who supports any of these political actors and the uh, political entertainment complex... And uh, just unabashedly so, I just don't get it. I don't understand anybody who does it anymore, and uh, I'm done. But that doesn't make it doesn't take away from the fact that Ted Cruz is an absolute prick, and there are so many things wrong with the student loan system, and all of that has nothing to do with the problems. It's just combative, and um, I'm not just trying to single him out. Other than I hate him. I hate them all. They're all awful. They're all terrible. Coming up next, a handful of different things involving kids getting to what time they get to school, how school has been going the last couple of years, what's going on with me over the next week and a half or so, and a bunch of stuff that really doesn't mean a whole lot. Hang tight. Now back to more. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. I broke up with someone recently. Jennifer, my last girlfriend. I did it in a crowded restaurant. She just stared at me with that look. 
how can you pass me up? I told her we weren't right and all the stuff we both knew. A week later, I realized I was wrong, tried to get back together with her. She won't see me. Now she's with Tony. Tony knows my friend Bailey, who's friends with the girl that Tony's going out with on the side, Rita. Rita, who I broke up with to go out with Jennifer. So now, do I tell Jennifer that I know Tony is going out with Rita? Or do I tell Rita that I know about Tony and Jennifer? Tony who will tell Jennifer that I was still going out with Rita when I was going out with her. How does this stuff get so complicated? I don't know. I think I'm back to the beginning. My dad left home when I was eight. You know what he said to me? Have fun. Stay single. I was eight. Could be some of the best advice ever given from the 1992 film Single. Have fun. Stay single. I promise you it works. <laughs> it works. Now, there's a lot of downsides to it, too. Uh, not nearly as many from my vantage point. Uh, partially started some of this because of Barry's comments of my <laughs> wanting Pearl Jam to be a new every day. And partially because I was watching a uh, show the other day. Uh, the special when the Cubs won the World Series and the Bra- Braves. the uh, And Pearl Jam played Wrigley that year and they made a movie out of it. And I'd never wanted to watch it before because I was so pissed off that the Cubs won the World Series and not ever having my favorite team win it as an adult and I just was butthurt and I wouldn't watch it. Well, after your team does win a championship, it changes everything. Now I can feel happy for the Cubs in 2016 and appreciate that uh, rock doc sports doc kind of thing it was very cool and then after that came on on axios or axios or no axios is that dumb political but whatever it was on my direct tv the movie um singles came on and i i own it i have it on dvd and 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 vhs probably and i hadn't seen it in so long and i watched it and that's a clip from it and i love it so much and i loved it so much as a kid but i didn't know why speaking of not knowing why you're doing anything um I because it, it, the movie is about 21, 22, 23 year olds in Seattle in 1992. I was 12, 13 by the time I saw that. Like I had any idea what that was about. It was about relationships. I just liked it because Eddie Vedder was in it, and Allison Chains was in it, and uh, Chris Cornell was in it, and um, who else? Several uh, other Seattle musicians making cameos, and it was just you know my favorite city in the world, Seattle. You know, just because of the grunge scene and. The band in that was called Citizen Dick. It was Matt Dillon is the uh, lead singer, the actor, and then three members of Pearl Jam are the drummer, drummer, guitar, and 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 um, bass player. And I have a Citizen Dick shirt that I wear to every single Pearl Jam show I've ever been to. Well, that I can remember, but at least most of them. And I got it when I was about 13, 14 years old. And I was getting at Chad's Records over on Brainerd Road. You remember that fantastic record at bootleg CD shop, man. It was so much fun. The Chad's had several different incarnations over the years, but that was the best store. That was the classic, you know, vinyl record store. And my mom would take me every other few weeks or something to buy a couple CDs. And, um, you know, when my allowance got to wherever it was, she'd sit out in the car and me and my friend of mine would go in there and we'd dig through stuff for 30 minutes or whatever. And they had a Citizen Dick shirt. And it was exactly like the one they wear in 
the uh, in in the movie. It's a great looking shirt. It's got three band members on it, um, a silk screen kind of thing, and uh, and I was I bought it, and my mom was like, "What the hell have you done? You spent your whole allowance on a shirt that's ten times too big for you. It's like a, an adult large. I'm 13, 14 years old, and I said, "I can't. It doesn't matter. I got to have it. I have to have it." And she's like, so foolish. You won't be able to wear this until you're 25. <laughs> and, uh, but she was right. But I won in the end, as I have kept up with that shirt my entire life. And since it has literally only been worn about 10 times, because it's never been worn to anything other than a show, it's still braced basically not a brand new shirt, but as, as new of a shirt as I own that's only been washed, you know, the 10, 12 times. In 27 years, and I still wear it to every Pearl Jam show and to all you dorks out there that say don't wear band shirts to the concert you go to. It's a lot of people that feel that way. It's some kind of like hot take on when you go to concerts. Yeah, screw you, buddy. I'm going to wear whatever I want, first of all, and I always wear the band shirt to the concert that I go to. That long-winded, that long-winded drivel leads to I'm going to see Pearl Jam next week in Nashville on uh, Friday the 16th. It is it is the, the, the COVID-stalled shows from April, my birthday week of 2020. I did the math. I pulled up the receipt the, earlier today. I bought the tickets in December 2019. 784 days ago. And the show is finally taking place next Friday. And then the following day, I'm going to head to Atlanta, haul ass back to Chattanooga, and then jump in a car with some friends, and we're going to Atlanta to see Ween. And that's uh, just a long time. Great friend of mine was like, you know, he wants me to love Ween, and I, I, I kind of like Ween. That's about as far as I've gotten. I promised him I would get up the next day and haul ass to Atlanta because it's on him. It's his treat. So why the hell not? So that's why I won't be around for the Jack White show. And I'm just taking all of next week off. I planned on going to the Titans opener, but I was able to sell those for double my money, so I'll do Moon River instead. And then I've got the, a vacation week to just do whatever I want with. So the chances are there will not be a um, a, a podcast next week because I'll be pretty busy. And when I take a week off, I like to truly, truly take that week off. All right, so now that I've laid that out there, let's take a look at what else I want to look at. Just some stuff with some schools here that I, I grabbed from some newsletter that was just, you know, the highlights. And Morning Brew, I think is what it's called. I, I listened to a podcast on the creation of that, which is essentially just an email blast uh, newsletter that it's done really, really well. And I actually like it. It gives you just kind of like bite-sized news of the day really quick and without any kind of stupid political slant on it. It's just like, here's the stuff going on. And who didn't know this? Who is shocked by this? None people shocked by this. Kids are dumber than they've ever been in the last couple of years. And it's because we as a country for a long time now have, but it's certainly in the last few years, have completely lost our goddamn minds. The negative effects of the global shutdown are becoming more and more glaringly obvious every day that passes. And many of us knew this all along, said it out loud at the time, but didn't want to be too loud about it because we'd come across as insensitive or the uh, overreacting uh, extremes either way would, uh, you know, it, it would just be a mess. And like, this should not be any kind of 
of surprise, shock, interesting, not uh, very easily predictable information. Kids in the last couple of years are not learning anything, and it's not just because they weren't in school for that short period of time. This has been so disruptive. The, sh- the, the, the global shutdown of however long it officially lasted, several, you know, a couple, handful, three, four, five months, six months, whatever it was, depending on what area of the country you're in, it is almost immeasurable the damage we've done to the global economy, to the to, to supply chains, to the to, to kids um just just learning and soaking in information. The numbers show I don't have any in front of me that kids in the summertime lose a astonishing amount of uh, you know retaining information is the the percentages are so low. That's why the argument for year round school is a very good argument to have. Send kids to to the house for three months. You think they're going to think about anything they learned the year before? Of course they're not. And if they don't have proactive families, parent parental structures and social structures, which is most nobody does except for some in certain you know higher affluent areas. They're, they're just going to be, you know, sitting, staring at a TikTok screen for three months and they're going to forget everything. Um, now imagine getting no real learning done for what was it going on a year and a half, maybe pushing it close to some people for some people two years sitting on a Zoom and in front of a Zoom camera taking classes. What? Huh? No, not a chance. And we talked about this. I was at the radio station still when this was going down in the middle of it. And I was screaming this every other day, every other week. What the hell? Why are what are we doing? I understand we're concerned, but these are the children are not affected by this. It's the flu. I have long since because I was yelling it from the get go, but realize, look back on how fool, how foolish, how stupid, how just childlike everybody across the globe was. Not just America, everybody. What the hell was going on then? And we will all die of the plague at some point if this ever comes up again. If there's ever any quote-unquote pandemic that is dangerous, if, the, if Stephen King's The Stand becomes real, we're all going to die. We're all dead. Because there ain't, uh, nobody with a level head is going to say we're going to ever do that again. Oh, yeah, because that was a good idea. Let's not have kids go to school for months and months, upwards of a year. Let's close down every restaurant and every bar and every re- every movie theater and every uh, or- any kind of community organizing gathering place. Let's close them all down for six months because that was a good idea. That worked out well. Not a single chance that will ever happen again, and it better not ever happen again. Precedents are important. This precedent matters. You don't do that. You don't cripple economies just because you can this says national test scores for U.S. nine-year-olds released yesterday showed that math and reading proficiency dropped to their lowest levels in decades. The math scores from the National Assessment of Educational Progress Test, often dubbed the nation's report card, reflect the first decline since the government started tracking data in 1971, with the average score dipping seven points between 20 and 22, 2020 and 2022. The average reading score went down five points, the largest fall in more than 30 years. The lowest performing students were the most impacted. Well, who didn't know that? Low already, low to no option types, poor areas, low performing, and of course it hurt them the worst. Kids in the 90th percentile had a mere three-point drop in math, while scores dipped 12 points for those in the bottom 10th. The steepest declines were in the Midwest, 
and Northeast, those scores decreased all across the United States. And it's not just test scores that have that are looking grim. School violence, absenteeism, cyberbullying, and students using mental health services, as well as teacher uh, vacancies, all went up since the pandemic in 2022. People's mindsets changed. People decided they wanted to get out of the profession. The same, all the, the, the shortages of, at, at the fast food joints. Hey, get another job. Get a better job. Okay, I guess I will. Oh, why does anybody want to work these crappy jobs? Because well, you told me not to. So I got a better one, you know, and then other cases, you know, that was when all the cares money was being abused and all those trillions of dollars just being flushed, flushed down the toilet, thrown in the garbage can, burned in the backyard. Left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing as they rushed through all that. And that was, I mean, during the, the Trump administration, that final year, it started there and then just got even progressively worse into 21 with Biden taking over. This isn't about any one particular party, person, politician, or anything. The whole world, the whole globe collectively stopped using their brains for a long period of time. And I don't know if it was just out of fear, uh, uncertainty amongst unrest in the whole world politically. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not smart enough to be able to figure that out. But as I often say, and I wear it as a badge of honor, and I take a victory lap, I had this one. I didn't care the minute I heard about it. It's been the flu since the minute I heard about this, and I remember where I was when I first heard of the coronavirus. So, I mean, Fauci's over here saying, the guy just won't shut up. You might have to get shots every year. Yeah, I don't think so, bro. Get lost. We're done with you. Um, Just sound like clowns, man. All of them. So tired of it. And yes, of course, students, kids aren't learning anything. And I had one more I wanted to get to that had to do with kids that I was going to do a whole segment on. Oh, there it is. Um, I uh, I had this old clip in my head that I couldn't find. It's very old. It's Lewis Black from like 2003, the comedian. And he does, he's, he's talking to his college class or a college auditorium. It's a small crowd. And so it's a lot of like stuff about school and stuff. And he talks about how it was an economics class or something. And he was in, uh, and this is when he was at the height at his best, some of his best material and something about, I couldn't learn anything because they taught it at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's like, do you not want anybody to know any of this stuff? And I've always thought it's absolutely insane. Why are we sending kids, especially high school kids, you know, some of them approaching 18 years old to class at seven o'clock in the freaking morning. I can very vividly remember being at school at 7.15 in the morning and couldn't keep my damn eyes open. And I can't um, believe or imagine how I passed any class before 10 a.m. And that's not just me because I'm the sleep-in guy. That was kids in general. That is, kids do not want to be up in the morning and doing anything productive. Well, most adults don't want to either, and I don't blame any of them. A new California law in effect this year, the first in the country, requires all public high schools in the state to start no earlier than 8.30 a.m. How about that? For all the things we can hate on California about, which I'm not one of those guys. I love the state of California, but there's still plenty kooky, weird, you know, loudmouths out there for sure. But that's one I, I can get on board with. A 2019 CDC survey found that just 22% of high schoolers logged eight hours of sleep on school nights. 
I would say, yeah, I mean, I would say potentially even less than that. Sleep deprivation also affects mental health. Uh, released by the CDC, found that 44% of high schoolers had, quote, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. And uh, looks like Seattle's done the same thing. They've moved theirs to 845. Their students are showing 34 minutes extra of sleep. Denver's doing something similar, getting around 45 extra minutes of sleep. And then uh, the long view here, the overall picture is New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Texas, of all places, and the U.S. Virgin Islands are working on similar bills that would push school start times higher. So that's a good thing. Kids need to be in school. They need to be in school often. They need to be have one-on-one interaction with people, with other students, with, uh, with, with instructors, teachers. They don't need to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. They don't need to be on Zoom calls. They don't need to be having homework and all this other stuff excessively. They need to be every day engaging, and you're not just learning how to calculate three times five is 15. You know, there's a hell of a lot more to this. You're building social skills, people skills, interaction skills, how to address and talk to uh, the people of authority, how to deal with your peers, how to deal with your the bullies, how to deal with love, how to deal with hate. It's a very, very enriching place to be. And it's not just about opening up a textbook, and it sure as hell ain't happening when these kids, at their arguably most formative years of 7th, 8th, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, you know, I, I have a feeling high school kids transition from that mess a lot better than uh, elementary and middle school kids did would be my, my first thought. But we are living in kind of dangerous times uh, over the course of the next you know, decade and a half or so of uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of lies, a lot of fake stuff everywhere that is tricking even some of the smartest people that I know. And having less informed, less critical thinking young people is a dangerous place to be anywhere in the world, but certainly here in America. And um, as I keep saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh my God, it can't get any worse. I promise you, it can. Oh, my God, it can't get any crazier. I promise you, it can. Oh, my God, that, that, that's the craziest lunatic that's ever run for office and actually won. That's insane. What? I promise you somebody crazier, nuttier, and more outlandishly awful and weird and out of place will eventually be in that position of power. It's out of control, and the dumber we are, the worse it's going to get. College football is back officially as of this past weekend. Of course, that's what it is every Labor Day weekend. Uh, talking NIL, we'll talk the transfer portal, some of the more uh, the local games here, and a couple thoughts from a national college football voices and my overall thoughts on the start of the season and the new landscape that is college football going forward. I'll get to that coming up next. It's perfect. You know, 14 teams is really the sweet spot, right? We'll do 50 teams, but that's as high as we're going to go. And I mean it this time. A 99-team triple threat match playoff. 
Bama versus Ohio State versus Clemson on a triangular field. We'll call it the Royal Rumble playoff. We'll send one team out every two minutes, and it's like, by God, that's UCF's music. We don't even need a playoff anymore. This is going to blow your mind. Check it out. The computer tells you who the best two teams are. Watch this. Beep, poop, beep, Bama versus Bama. We're still working out the case. Uh, it's funny because it's true. This is what would be considered new Pearl Jam when this tour was supposed to be new or was supposed to be happening when the new record was out two, over two years ago. It's called Whoever Said. And yes, I am a, absolutely in love with Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam. Here's one of the lines from the song. It's just poetry, man. Every time this guy talks, sings, addresses, it's pure poetry. It's all delivery, said the messenger who is now dead. Was all in the periphery. I didn't see him, but I heard what he said. It's sideways talk, poisoning our thoughts. Everyone walks, and it's no one's fault. Whoever said it's all been said gave up on satisfaction. Don't give up on satisfaction. Give up on satisfaction. All right. Sorry. So let's see. College football is back. It's funny because I always talk bleep about college football, yet I watch it so frequently. I just realized that a year or two ago. And because I, you know, shocking, I, I can be argumentative at times. I'd like to think I'm, I'm way less argumentative now than I used to be. Um, but I would like to just kind of just, I don't know, go back and forth with people on their love affair with college football. Like, why the hell would I care why you do or don't like what you like? But just the obsessive nature of it still, it's kind of bewildering to me. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. When I was a kid, I loved college football a lot until I grew uh, up and, and I wasn't a kid anymore. And then I realized I'm a grown ass adult. Why am I watching children play football? This is very strange. Uh, or at least it's not strange to watch it. It's just strange to be fanatical about it. And I've always been that way. I've never changed my stance on that. But if you love it, then you love it. Whatever. I'm not mad about that. I never, you know, maybe I acted like I was, but I, I really wasn't. Um, but then I started realizing and thinking about it. You know what? I watch more college football than I watch anything. Seriously, any other sport. And I love virtually all sports. I mean, hockey, basketball, football, baseball, for sure, obviously. Hell, I like tennis. I've been watching some of the U.S. Open. I'll watch golf, on, you know, in April. I like all sports. I like competition. It's fun, live competition. I enjoy watching. I don't really care what it is. I usually can find some entertainment in people competing for victory. Um, but I don't watch the NFL. I don't watch Monday night football. I don't watch Thursday night football unless it's just in passing, just have it on in the background. I don't watch Monday night baseball and hockey on Thursdays and NBA on Tuesdays. I don't watch any of that stuff. But every single Saturday in the fall, I'm watching college football games, either with people at someone's house in a backyard or in the living room or at a game like at a Mox game, which we're not really watching a lot of football, but we're taking in football festivities. And if I'm at the house, generally speaking, I'll have a college football game on if it's a if it's a decent matchup. So it's like, man, for something you I'm talking to myself for yourself, for something you hate so much, you sure do 
watch it a lot. And I guess the reason is it is pretty entertaining. And it is, it's a very argumentative sport because it spent so long, so many years, so archaically odd with no uh, no overtimes. So it used to tie. There was national champions were picked by the Associated Press for like 75 years. Uh, can't have the kids play any kind of playoff games. That was everything going on when I was a kid and, and really loved college football when the BCS was created, which was pretty much a farce of a way to select a champion. And I just, I always was so angry that why can't this sport that I love have an actual real champion, a real process of elimination tournament like every other sporting event does. And it was it was so odd that the the powers, the boosters, the people from these universities wouldn't make it happen because my God, look at how much money it's making. And everything that made college football so great, though, through all these decades, and all these generations of pageantry and just the the celebration nature of those 11, 12 Saturdays a year, 11, 12 weekends a year, everything that made it great, it feels like it's starting to crumble some. Now, initially it has not because it has br- brought a new, fresh excitement level with the four-team playoff. But even the way they do it is absurd with a with a committee that that has Condoleezza Rice on it. Like, who are, who are these people? Why are they deciding this? There's got to be a more uh, efficient way to do this. And then now we hear the 12-team 12 12 playoff is coming. And I don't have an opinion on any of these things. I, 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 I just think it's going to... All these new rules and this sudden seismic change in the landscape of college football is really going to long-term hurt the sport because everything everybody loved about it is not really there anymore. It's turning into a minor league feeder system professional football league. And the problem is right now there is zero regulations whatsoever. And that's going to start to eat itself from within. Now you add the additional playoff teams as early as two years from now, but four years from now, for sure, it'll be two. It won't be four. It'll be two. They'll tear up that agreement, and they'll get into these billion-dollar contracts as soon as possible. The uh, the NIL, the name, image, likeness thing, is off the rails, out of control. I don't care if they pay the players or how you do it, but I, if, if you don't have some kind of regulation, if you don't have a commissioner, if you don't have a cap, if you don't have contracts, if you don't have any kind of verbiage or legalities to any of this, it's going to, it's, you're going to lose, you're going to lose all that organic, uh, the soul of what this is. I, I think, I, what I think you're actually doing, what not you, they are doing, is cre- going to eventually create a league that I'm going to like more because it's more balanced and it makes more sense from a, a from a practicality standpoint. Not yet, but long-term. And I'm going to like the way that the product on the field probably gets better. I don't know about that, but that's where I feel might be happening. But the organic soul of college football in the South and all, you know many other places in the country, that's going to erode. I believe that will not hold the same warmth the same uh, celebration that it has had for so long. I've got two clips of audio I want to play for you here. One is Joel Klatt. He is kind of a West Coast 
Kerp Herbstreet, if you will. He's uh, one of the, the louder voices you'll hear from Fox Sports College uh, uh, analyzing, and he's, uh, uh, I think he's Colorado State. He's, he's, a, he's a Pac-10 guy. He likes this idea, and he's one of the few people that are diehard college football types that I have heard that like this, this uh, new expanded playoff idea. Let's just get into some of the numbers of why the the four-team playoff has not worked. Okay, we've had 13 different teams make the playoff in the current current format since its inception in the last eight years. That's only 10% of college football. All right, 10% of the sport, 13 teams. If you retroactively go back those last eight years, back to 2014, 41 teams would have made playoffs. That's a huge deal. That's nearly a third of college football, just under about 32%. So from 10% to 32%, that's a huge deal. I don't care if they lose in the first round. Folks, you have to understand that the only way to define yourself as successful in the modern college football is to make the college football playoff. And only 10% of the teams in the last eight years have been able to say that. That's a problem. He's he's not wrong, but I am not a fan of just because you cannot create your own success will change the rules that allow unsuccessful people to now be able to fraudulently say we're now successful. That's expansion and playoffs all the way around. I don't like it. I don't like an NFL. I don't like an MLB. And it's not because I'm an old fuddy-duddy who can't you know, adjust to change. I like accomplishments. I don't want my team to make the playoffs because you expanded it for me. That doesn't bring me real satisfaction now maybe it does with the numb nuts that just want to get drunk on the weekend in the college campuses and you know the guys are just gonna you know chug beer all day long and maybe they, they bring something better to their days but sports competition means a lot to me you want to be the best you want to be good you want to be considered a success make the playoffs as they are structured don't open the door wider just so i can fit my fat ass through just to get my teeth kicked in and then now i could somehow go around telling people how i had a successful season not into that in any level of any sports, but his point is valid, and it might it might actually hold a lot of water in this scenario. This guy's name is Chuck Culpepper, old school guy, writes for the uh, Washington Post. He was on Tony Kornheiser's show the other day, and uh, very soft spoken guy. I just I thought this um, this point he made held uh, held a lot of weight. The great Frank DeFord had this line in, a, in an essay he wrote one time said, sports were never meant to be covered like NATO or the bond market. And I kind of feel like, you know, there's, it's just so much talk about business. And this move was all business. Something's lost in there. I hate to, I never wanted to be that guy who said that, but I, w- I always wanted to try to adapt. But something's lost in that move. I've, I've always followed college sports. I've always loved it. College football especially. For me, it's like growing up in the South was the signal that the harsh summer was ending and much more than that. And But that move, I've always liked the idea that you had one region playing here and one region playing over here, and then occasionally they get together and, and measure the regions, regions against each other. So the idea that, that they're going to be in the Big Ten and it stretches from you know, Westwood and West LA all the way to Rutgers is kind of intimate college park is it just kind of fundamentally changes something for me. It's almost as if the sport and college sports are kind of 
shedding their charms in a way. That was in more reference to all the conferences kind of bouncing all over the country and joining and making super conferences because there's really so many angles here. There's the the super conferences and teams moving left and right. There's the NIL, which is its whole nother thing. And then there's the, the transfer portal, which many of say they think is the worst part of, uh, of, of just kind of stripping uh, – college football of its greatness is that these t- players have no uh, allegiances and it's not that it's not about loyalty as much oh they don't care well you know it's not about that it's not about caring it's about you have to make a commitment like in professional sports where you sign a contract i don't care if you want to leave when the contract's over but like you can't just well you can you shouldn't just be able to just bounce around all over the country go to any school you want to whenever you feel like it and then just be able to take unbridled, uh, unaccounted for money from every corner of the dirty world and the above board NIL world. None of it's regulated. It's a complete wild, wild west. It is not good for business. That's not good for any business. No control, no regulation is not good for any organized event, business, or sports team or league. It just isn't. And the, uh, Power Five commissioners are urging Congress to take action on the NIL regulations. This is from Sports Illustrated. I'll read a little of this, and then I'll get out of here. In a two-page letter, I'm not going to read all this. It's a two-page letter that Sports Illustrated got that went to Tommy Tuberville, Tuberville former coach now of House in uh, Alabama, and Joe Manchin. Of course, everybody knows who he is. And that combo gives them that kind of, aw, shucks, good old boy, bipartisan support. Uh, it, it includes this. The, uh, the letter. One, having a national standard allowing all athletes to earn compensa- compensation from third parties, prohibiting pay for play, as well as outlawing, outlawing excuse me, boosters, involvement in recruiting, providing protections for athletes, including assurances that agents are subject to meaningful regulation, banning third parties or agents from obtaining long-term rights of athletes NIL, requiring deals to co- uh, commiserate with market rates for NIL activity, and six, requiring athletes to disclose NIL deals to their university, all of which sound like very reasonable, real regulations that should be put in to this sport of college football and the NCAA in general. Conservatives have wanted more narrow legislation that focuses exclusively on NIL and includes athlete restrictions and antitrust protections for the NCAA. Liberals have targeted a broad bill that encompasses athlete health care, lifetime scholarships, even revenue sharing and collective bargaining, and provides athletes with more freedoms in NIL ventures. Well, who didn't know those were going to be the sticking points between the two parties? Just about one and a half paragraphs here, and I'll be done with this. Some people believe there is little appetite for an NIL bill in a Congress that is juggling budgetary issues and post-pandemic economic problems. However, this November's midterm elections could change the balance of power in a Democratic-controlled Congress. Most within college sports believe that a Republican-controlled Senate would create a more simple path to the passage of NIL legislation. A narrow bill basically has an easier shot, they say. Quote, if you have Republican chairs of committees, it's different, says Tom McMillan, a former congressman himself, who is now the president of Lead One, an organization representing the FBS athletic directors. Quote, it's more difficult to get a Democratic agenda through. And who didn't know that? And of course, there's no chance in this broken, busted ass 
American political system can we get anything that matters to everyday walking around ordinary people through a bill because of all the reasons that I don't need to state that we all understand out loud and should all collectively groan and sigh and roll our eyes at. So it would be one thing if this sport, if this organization, NCAA, and all these colleges, all they had to deal with was one of these problems, the transfer portal, NIL, uh, teams bouncing from conference to conference. If it was just one of those, that would be a big deal and would be uh, very uh, important to the future of the sport. They have all three to literally be juggled at the same time. This is not good for this organization and this sport going forward long term. And then you couple in, and this isn't my complete unique thought, but I've I've often thought it on my own for many years, and others have expressed it as well, the fact that the play is deteriorating so bad all the way to an NFL level. This is generational. If I had children, if I had a boy, he would not be encouraged to play football, period. If he wanted to for whatever reason as he grew up into high school age and it was just passionate, I'd let him. But I wouldn't encourage it, not even kind of. And I think that's happening more times than hardcore football fans would like to believe. And I believe it's now a couple of generations in, and there are not any good players. They're not any really that good of teams, and it's trickling in the NFL. There's not that many good teams in the NFL either. There's only a handful of people that can play quarterback in this whole damn country. Go back 10, 20, 30 years, there was good quarterbacks and good running backs and good skill position players all over, littered all over the country. And now there's still plenty, but not like there used to be. And the way that this is now, the the the, the poor is going to get way poorer and the rich is going to get way richer and just, I just say, just be careful what you hope for. Be careful what you wish for, because you might get it, and it might destroy the sport that you love so much. Doesn't matter. I won't care. I'll still be there hanging out with you at your party, having a beer, and watching college football Saturdays in the South. Wait until Sunday when I watch the real guys play, the ones who actually know how to play the game well. All right, and that is all for one afternoon or one evening, I should say. That's all the damage I can do. So, yeah, don't look for a podcast next week unless I just somehow find myself bored and a really good local story hits. If a really good local story hits, then I will. I will record something, but I'm not really expecting it. So last time I saw Pearl Jam in 2016 in Greenville, South Carolina, it was indeed... The hashtag best show ever. It was not hyperbole. It was not a prisoner of the moment situation. It was indeed my favorite concert I've ever been to in the history of my life. Will that be repeated in Nashville on on Friday? Probably not, but I'll let you know later on down the road. You can be assured of that. Y'all have a great weekend. Have fun at Moon River. If you see me down there, say hello. I love when people come say hello in public. It makes me feel good. I'm serious. And just don't talk to me long. Like, leave shortly after. (laughs) See you later. Bye.